Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We begin reading from verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, brethren, we are back to our series entitled Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And remember, the emphasis there is on celebrating. In other words, this is something that we ought to be joyful about, that we ought to be participating in day by day and enjoying while the world in misery is chasing after its nothingness. We have finished that long sentence, verse uh, 3 down to verse 14, seeing how God saves us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And beginning with verse 15, we have first of all seen the way in which we ought to respond to the news of other individuals who have become Christians. And we saw there that if we are to follow the example of the Apostle Paul, we ought, first of all, to rejoice in terms of thanksgiving to God, and then secondly, we ought to pray. That's what Paul does here with respect to the Ephesian believers. In other words, saints ought to cause us to well up in praise to God, and saints ought to cause us to be a people who are more prayerful and seeking their spiritual good. Today, we're moving on to see what to pray for. What is it that we should be asking God for? And uh, the very first prayer request is primarily asking that they might have more of the Spirit, more of the Spirit. And hence the title of my sermon there, Praying 
for more of the Spirit. Now, those of us who are Reformed Christians, we are in danger of throwing out the baby with the dirty bath water. And what I mean by that is that because we are so surrounded by individuals who are always talking about the Holy Spirit, always talking about the Holy Spirit, in the most strangest ways, attributing to the Spirit what is not true of the Holy Spirit, we can easily end up in a state where we withdraw from thinking about him, from praying that we may experience more of the Holy Spirit. And hence, it is important for us to notice from here that, in fact, it's the major prayer request that the Apostle Paul gives here. The major prayer request that believers who have thus far experienced salvation, and that salvation has been through the work of the Holy Spirit, that they might have more of him. So let's quickly see three things from verse 17 and the first part of verse 18. First of all, we are going to see who we pray to, and secondly, we're going to see what we are praying for, and then thirdly and lastly, we are going to see what the fruit of these prayers is meant to be. So let's begin with uh, who we are to pray to. I think the answer is pretty simple. We pray to God, and if we were to sort of narrow down in terms of the three persons of uh, the Godhead, we are to pray primarily to the Father. What is interesting in our text is the way in which he is spoken about in terms of who he is. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul there says, I begin with verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Notice the way Paul speaks about the one he is praying to. He speaks about him being the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. I want you to notice uh, two things there. And it is the, the double ownership or the double belonging that is there in this identification of God. He is first of all spoken of as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly spoken of as the Father of glory. What... what is Paul thinking about as he speaks to God in that way? Well, first of all, it is with respect to the blessings that we already have. 
So when, when Paul, maybe let me begin on that note. When Paul prays to God and identifies this God as the God who has certain characteristics or who owns certain things, it is because of what he primarily has in his mind that he is actually praying about. Okay, so let me give you two quick examples to make the point and then we'll come back to this passage. First of all, um, Romans chapter 15. It's a passage we dealt with long ago. Romans 15, when we're preaching through Romans. You will remember that in chapter 14, the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 was dealing with a very difficult situation in the life of the early church. And it was Jews and Gentiles coming together in the same church. They were coming from different cultures, especially religious cultures, and the tendency was that of fighting. In other words, the Gentiles must worship as we Jews worship, or the, the Jews must worship the way we Gentiles worship. And so it was proving to be very difficult to, for them to worship together. And so as Paul opens up how they are to, as it were, endure their differences in order to remain as one church, this is the way he puts it. Chapter 15 and verse 5. He's talking about praying there. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Now, why speak of God being the God of endurance and encouragement? Well, look at verse 4, the previous verse. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through en the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have so it's primarily because he's thinking about endurance and encouragement that he then refers to God as the God of endurance and encouragement. In other words, endurance comes from him. Encouragement comes from him. He owns these things. And consequently, we can go to him for these attributes. Let's quickly also jump to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here, the context is that the Apostle Paul had gone through a very difficult time. He experienced suffering and trials. Uh, and in the midst of all that, he, he, he experienced God's comfort. God's comfort. And now he is talking about it. So let's begin with verse 3. Verse 3. In fact, it's really verse 3 that has the statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and 
God of all comfort. Now listen to verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Okay, so Paul is referring now to God as the God of all comfort, primarily because what he's thinking about at this stage is comfort from God. Back to Ephesians and chapter 1. So when Paul prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is something about Jesus that Paul is thinking about. When he prays about God as Father of glory, there's something about glory that he is thinking about. So let's look within the context and see, first of all, what is it about Jesus that Paul is thinking about? The answer is quite simple, actually. It's in verse 3. So let's go back. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul uses more or less the same phrase that he uses in verse 17. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the phrase, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There it is. So when he is praying here for the believers and is praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, it is in terms of the fact that all the spiritual blessings that we can ever have, which indeed we will have, all of them, have been secured for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're secured for us there. And Paul is thinking about that as he is about to pray for the believers. He's praying for them that they might indeed enjoy these rich blessings that God has secured in Christ. What about the Father of glory? The Father of glory. The phrase glory there is, is often related to God, but primarily related to that place where God's attributes, all his attributes, are seen for what they are. The place where he, his, his throne room resides. The place where he is worshipped by thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels. The place where there is no sin. It is all righteousness and holiness and bliss. 
the place where we are going, brethren, if we are truly believers, that place where God resides in all his glory, the God or the Father of glory, that that place belongs to him. Where is this spoken about there in this context? Let's go back to verse 3. Verse 3. We're told there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, listen to this, in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. In other words, in glory. When we come to our text, back to chapter 1 and verse 17, as we go down, we soon begin to notice that that's what he has in mind. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Listen to this. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, glorious inheritance. That inheritance being what he himself will enjoy there in us. Where is there? In glory. And that's why he refers to it as his glorious inheritance. Notice also in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There it is again. In the heavenly places. So it's clear that in the mind of the Apostle Paul, he's not only looking back to what Jesus has secured for us, that's crucial, it's been secured in Christ, but he's also looking futuristically to where all this is going. And indeed, it has been secured for us as well. The heavenly places, glory, God also has all that in his hands. He has what has been secured. He also has where we are going. This is the God to whom I am now praying. This is the God before whom I am bringing the saints, the children of God, all of them. That's what he has in mind, both where we're coming from and also where we are going. But then is the second question. What is he praying for? What is his request? Well, let's read our text. Ultimately, it is what we are calling more of the Spirit. More of the Spirit. Verse 17. In my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. May give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation. Now, the best way to talk about it is to simply say that he is saying, I'm praying that you may have more of the Spirit. In a sense, it's because when he's saying that, that he may give you the Spirit of wisdom, he's already given us the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because remember where we were um, in, in verse 13, verse 13, towards the end of the Apostles' prayer, rather the, the Apostles' opening up of the way in which we are made Christians. Verse 13, in him also, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God came into your life and in that way you were set apart for God. And he puts it this way, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in a sense, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul praying for? Essentially, his prayer is that we may have more of what the Spirit of God is meant to do in the lives of believers. So in a sense, it's not so much more in terms of we have 10 liters of the Holy Spirit, now let's have 20 liters. It's not in those terms, because it's, it's God. The, the Spirit of God is God. And therefore, in that sense, he doesn't sort of come in, in, in bits and pieces to us. But rather, it is more of his influence. An obvious example is, you know, we, we often speak in terms of uh, uh, a person being filled with wine. Now, yes, in a sense, he's been drinking more and more of wine, but you can have the same amount of wine as somebody else who drinks wine more often than you. And that person is still okay. He's still sober. Whereas for you, you can hardly walk straight. The difference there is not so much the quantity of wine that is in you as the quantity of control that the wine has over you. So it's really actually the other way around. It is... A person who's filled with wine is somebody who is drunk with wine. It's, it's the amount of influence or impact that that has on him. So in the same way, when we are speaking here about having more of the Spirit, it is not so much that we have 10 liters and we want 100 liters, but it is that the influence of the Spirit upon us may be more and more. 
what is it about the spirit that we are praying for here or that was Paul was praying about? Again, notice that double ownership, the double ownership or the double belonging in his identity. He's referred to here as the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation. That's the way it's been spoken about here. And I think it's important for us to just try and capture something of what it is that he really has in mind as he is speaking in these terms. Now, first of all, it, it's a phrase that again refers to something we already have. And all Paul is saying is that we need to have more of this more of this. Uh, if we turn to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, I want you to notice Paul speaking about this knowledge and this wisdom that we get from the Spirit. And what I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is that the Apostle Paul is saying, we already have this wisdom we already have this knowledge. And then now, as he is praying in Ephesians, he's praying for more of this. Okay, so I begin from verse 16. It's a lengthy passage of scripture. And um, um, beginning with verse 6, all the way to, verse, to the end of the chapter, verse 16. The main thing is I want you to notice that the world doesn't have it. Every true Christian has this spirit of knowledge and wisdom. Okay, so here it begins. Verse 6. Yet among the mature, that is spiritually mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, so there we have wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages of our for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And there is glory, glory, glory coming in again. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed, there it is, revelation, has revealed to us through the Spirit. So it's something we have. The Spirit of revelation being given to us, we have had this revelation, this has been revealed to us, and consequently, we also have this wisdom, this secret wisdom, this wisdom of God. Let's continue. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And here it is. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What are those things? The unsearchable riches of Christ. We are able to know them. We are able to understand them. Why? Because the spirit of God has come to reside within us. He's revealed these things to us. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the Spirit of God who resides in believers enables believers to, to understand the things of God, to know the things of God, to in fact live their lives based on that revelation. In other words, to live their lives with spiritual wisdom. In 2 Corinthians, this time chapter 4, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. This is referring to regeneration, the work that precedes conversion. That, in fact, is the foundation of conversion. The new birth, being born again. He says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown notice in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again there, he is giving us this knowledge and there's something again of this glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that becomes ours. So, back to our text then. Paul is not suggesting that we should now begin to have some kind of mysterious knowledge that other people don't have because we undergo some kind of extraordinary spirit baptism of some kind. And now we are able to say that we, we know God in a way that you ordinary Christians don't have. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is that that which has already begun to be true of us can become even more true of us. That the spirit who has already come in us, who has already revealed Christ to us, this spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we may have more of him in terms of more of his work, more of his effect, 
more of, it, of the impact which results, as we shall see in a moment, in the knowledge of Christ. In the knowledge of Christ. So, all I want to do at this, at this point is simply emphasize that that's what he is praying for. And that's something we need to pray for more and more and more with respect to one another. That we might experience more of the Spirit's working in our lives. Yes, there are those that abuse the simple terms, Holy Spirit and Spirit and Spirit, but that doesn't mean that we should, as it were, abrogate that which is ours. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Why? Well, here is the fruit of that request. And it is this, that we may know Jesus Christ better, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened, and that we may know more and more of the things of God. Let me quickly read that to you. First of all, uh, the last part of verse 17. That the God and Father, the God rather, of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Notice, in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. That little phrase simply means so that you may know him. That's all it means. In the knowledge of him. So that you may know him. Or we can squeeze in another phrase there. So that we may know him better. Better. So that you may know him better. How? Well, here it is. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And then he says that you may know. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Now, the phrase, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, is a little confusing because we tend to think of the heart these days primarily in terms of that which pumps blood. And we know that our hearts don't have eyes. The eyes are sticking out of our skulls uh, on our head. And even when we think in terms of the heart as having affections, the seat of affections, we rarely think of the seat of affections again having eyes. We think purely in terms of feelings, the, the emotional aspect of us. Uh, so what is Paul speaking about here? Uh, all that this phrase means is that the, the things of God may become very real to us internally. That's all he's saying. That the things of God may become very, very real to us internally. Not just at cerebral level. In other words, purely at a thinking level. 
but that it might make up the totality of our beings. That we might know Jesus Christ, if I could put it this way, more experientially. Experientially. Now, you can listen to a sermon and somebody else is listening to a sermon and and at the end of the service you go home and and the very first thing you start talking about is either covid or football or you know the soccer match and so on it sort of just went right past you you heard the same words that everybody else heard but your heart did not perceive your heart did not comprehend your heart was not affected somebody else who was in the same church service who listened to exactly the same sermon walks out of church and has been thoroughly impacted thoroughly impacted they get home and they begin to 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 order certain things differently they maybe it's their prayer life that needed to be dealt with maybe it's somebody they needed to apologize to and consequently they pick up the phone make appointment and then they go to apologize or whatever it might be it might be their bible reading that they need to to get back into and so on and so forth what's the difference between the two because they heard the same thing well the difference is, is one person he, he he listened the way in which we we listen to to the news well some of us perhaps listen to the news even more emotively than others but you understand what i mean uh, and but here the, the other person it's they've listened with their hearts their hearts have been impacted the 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 spiritual world the spiritual reality has sunk in to them and as a result there is a real real change that has taken place it is this latter that the apostle paul is speaking about here when he says that he might give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know that you may know that these things may become very very real to you what are those we'll come to look at them uh, next week but let me just read them out to you there are three of them which is the second part of paul's prayer number one that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and that might be very 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 real to you the hope the blessed hope of the christian number two that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints that again you may know that which is god's glorious inheritance in you that it might be real that that you might rejoice in it that it might impact your life number three 
that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The, 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 the infinite power that God uses to make you what you are and to make you what he wants you to be. But again, all these realities, he is saying that, that they might, let me use another phrase, that they might dawn on you. That they might dawn on you. That you might feel sorry for the non-Christian as you are looking at them with all their world's goods that you, you might say to them, at least you say to yourself, oh, I, I wish they had but one thousandth, one thousandth of what I have in Christ. Oh, that they might have that. Why? Because the, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Your, your eyes have, have opened up and, and you now see what is there for you. You know, every so often, people organize what are called surprise. Birthday parties, surprise. Wedding anniversary, surprise this, surprise that. And sometimes you start wondering when we'll get over the surprise. But uh, I, I remember being in one such event where uh, it was a wedding, no, it was a birthday party, 50th birthday party for somebody, and the number of us were told to to go and uh, be ready for it. So we entered, it was in a hotel room, and we went in, and uh, uh, the, the birthday person was brought, and as he was brought, the they switched off the lights. So as he was brought in, somebody just said, ah, but What's happening, people? You know, there's supposed to be lights in here. And then they turned on the lights. And of course, he was totally shocked to see all these friends who were, who were there. Now, that wasn't the biggest surprise, but they were, hang on, hang on. You know, he was completely surprised as he saw this. And, you know, he came and he hugged us. You know, friends he hadn't seen for a very long time and so on. And, uh, and, and, and then... He was given his present, his birthday present, and it was beamed on a screen like this, a little brighter than this screen here. And it was the latest Mercedes-Benz and was given the keys. <laughs> he could not express himself. You know, who was, who was he going to hug? The Mercedes-Benz was on a screen. Maybe if it was in there, he would have hugged it. But just blown over. Blown over. He just said, no words whatsoever at that point. Now, here's my point, brethren. I'm sure a number of you are wishing you were the one. What Paul is saying is that what we have in this text is a million times more. That's what he said. A million times more than those glorious surprises that we often get. Even more than the glorious surprises this friend of mine got. 
much, much, much more. But here's the point. We often live as if we are beggars. That's the way we live. As if we are beggars. Christians are often in lives of compromise. Lives of compromise. Often. Because they think they are missing out on something. And therefore, they, 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 they compromise. When really, they shouldn't. The last sermon I preached out in the UK, I used this illustration. It's a, it makes more sense to, to us here. And you probably have heard this story. For my friends, they, most of them were saying, wow. You know, it's a nice illustration. But it makes the point, and it is this, that you remember the dog that was about to cross a stream and it had a juicy bone in its mouth? Some of you are looking like you've never heard it. Sorry about that, but you now know it. And as it was about to cross the stream, it looked into the water and it saw another dog with a bone that it admired. So it threw away its bone to grab the other one. We all know what happened at that point. What it saw was actually just an image of itself. And in throwing away its bone, it threw away the only bone that was there. And often, as Christians, we are like that. We admire the world when, in actual fact, their apparent joy is no real joy. The real joy is what you have in Christ. That's the real joy. That's the real joy. But in the process, we compromise, we sin, and we lose that which is really ours. That real joy. And we spend our days and weeks and months and years in misery. The Apostle Paul is saying, oh, that we would have our eyes open. Our eyes open. That way, we would really rejoice in that which belongs to us. So, brethren, as I hurry on to close, this is what we should be praying for as we are praying for one another. It is for this spiritual knowledge. That's it. For this spiritual knowledge. In other words, our greatest enemy as Christians is simply our spiritual ignorance. That's our greatest enemy. Our spiritual ignorance. And therefore, let us do everything to really have our eyes open. Let's be individuals who are reading the Bible, who are attending a church where the word of God is being faithfully preached, Let's be individuals who are reading Christian books that we might have more and more of this knowledge put here. But let's not stop there. Let's also now pray that that head knowledge might, by the help of the Spirit, sink to the heart so that our eyes might open. 
we might be filled with a joy that the world knows absolutely nothing of because we have, as it were, more of the Spirit. Amen.